Well, good morning, Salem Heights. And guests, we welcome you here today. We're glad that you're here to worship with us. Whether you're here at church or at home, we welcome you. If you're at church, we would welcome you to uh, worship today as if uh, this team is standing in front of you today. Uh, feel free to stand when it feels uh, right to do so. Uh, raise your hands, whatever you feel comfortable doing. We invite you to do that today. We want to remind you, no matter what turmoil goes on around us, God is still a trustworthy God. And so I wanted us just to be reminded of that as we sing this, this uh, very familiar old hymn, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus." So let's just sing that together. At this point, we'll start the service. And "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, and just to upon his promise and just to know the saith the Lord and Jesus Jesus how I trust him how I've proved him over and over and Jesus Jesus and pray Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. And I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. It's all my
of the goodness of God Yes, I'm gonna sing of the goodness of God And I search the world Feel me and then's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough. Then you came along and you put me back together and every desire. Nothing 
future event where every knee will bow goes like this
so true, Father, you are a good God and you are trustworthy. Even in these days when there's continued turmoil around us, we're so thankful you are in control. We're thankful we know how the story ends. You win and you've taken us with you. Your word says that we ought to be most thankful in life as believers that our names are recorded in the book of life. And we are so thankful for that today. We rejoice in that knowing we are yours. God, we would pray in these days that you would help us to be seen as your ambassadors, to think of ourselves that way, knowing people are watching, especially now, to see how we might react as believers to any and every situation. We are all going through different things right now and our neighbors are watching. So I pray they see joy in us. They see peace in us. They see that we're patient. It sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit. And so we pray that people see that in us so that they'd be drawn to you, ultimately come to know you and serve you with their lives. So we pray that that would happen. We're so thankful for the time in your word today because we don't, we'd never know when our last day is to hear from your word and we don't take it for granted. So we're thankful to hear it today. In Christ's precious name, amen. Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you. And if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to grab it and find your way back to the book of Acts. Chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue our series through the book of Acts. And Acts 16 happens to be one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts because it is the story of the birth of the church in Philippi. In the book of Philippians that the Apostle Paul also wrote, is one of my favorite New Testament letters uh, where we see so much good truth um, displayed in that. And so Acts 16 is a great study whenever you're studying the book of Philippians because we see how that church got started. And, and, and we're going to try to cover a, a large portion of Acts chapter 16, but this morning I just want to encourage you this week to take your Bibles and to read the whole chapter because we're not going to cover every single portion of it this morning. But what we see here is that it was on Paul's second missionary journey that he found himself traveling to this place called Philippi. And during this time, God used him to reach out to a number of different kinds of people. One of the things that we see in Acts chapter 16 is that um, God used Paul to reach not only the religiously confused, but there's actually an encounter he has with a, a slave girl who's possessed by a demon and ensnared by that demon, and, and Paul delivers her from that. But we also see that Paul has an interaction with a Philippian jailer who I would consider kind of an average Joe. And that's where we're going to focus our text this morning, is Paul's interaction with this Philippian jailer, because in the latter part of Acts chapter 16, we see a really crucial statement, a statement that uh, for most believers brings us great hope and great assurance. And it's found in verses uh, 30 and 31. 
the jailer is talking to Paul, and we're going to get to the story here in just a second, but the, the jailer asks Paul, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Man, what a question is that? that? That's the question we all ask at some point, Lord willing. What is it that I have to do to be saved, to, to have my sins forgiven, to be accepted by the one true God? And listen to Paul's response. You know, Paul is given credit in the New Testament for writing so much of the deep theological truth we have on the topic of salvation. Paul has the ability to go super deep in a theological intellectual realm to unpack all the theological truths that have to do with salvation. And yet listen to how he responds to this Philippian jailer's question. He says in verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And that's where I want to focus our time this morning. I want us to unpack what it means to believe, but, but more specifically, what I hope to show you this morning is that the belief that Paul is talking about here, a belief that saves, is not just theological, it's personal. And what I think we were going to see as we kind of unpack the, the context and the story here of Acts chapter 16 this morning is that Paul's belief was personal, and his belief inspired his responses to some of the circumstances he's going to find himself in. It informed his perspective, and it focused his message. Let's pick up uh, the, the story here in Acts chapter 16. We're going to read Acts 16 through verse 34. It says this, once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She had made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and us and she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews, and they are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, 
set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. This is a pretty incredible story. And if you read the whole chapter of Acts this week, what you're going to see is that you know, Paul was actually, as he was sent out on the second missionary journey, he was heading to a different location. He was hoping to go up north into Asia and, and to continue to do gospel work there. But it says that the Lord prevented that from happening, that the Spirit of God prevented them from going to this one place. And then uh, they said, okay, well, and they tried to go to another place. And it said that the Spirit of Jesus prevented them from going there. And then Paul receives a vision one night of a man from Macedonia, which is the, the territory where Philippi is located. And it says, in this vision, a man from Macedonia was pleading with Paul, saying, come and minister to us. And, and Paul and his companions believed that that was the Lord's direction. And so they got in a boat, and they, they traveled. And, and, and it says that they got there quickly to Philippi, and they began to do ministry. Um, initially, they were received well. They, they find a group of women who are meeting for prayer by the river. They share the gospel, and those women get saved. And, and then we pick up the story where we picked it up this morning. And as they head back out to prayer, they have this, this girl who's kind of harassing them. And Paul, finally, kind of after many days of being harassed by this, this demon-possessed slave girl, just orders the demon out, and the demon leaves, and her owners are very upset. So Paul gets thrown into prison. He gets beaten after he's been falsely accused that he has done something wrong. And one of the most amazing things we see here is that as he's put in the inner parts of this prison and he's put in the stocks, and what we have to remember about the stocks is that stocks were a torture device. They were meant to put you in very uncomfortable positions and stretch your body out. They were not just a place to kind of secure you. As Paul is now, he's in a prison, he's in the stocks, Acts tells us that they're singing and they're praying. How is that possible? How is it possible to be in a, in a situation where you're trying to follow the Lord, you're trying to obey what he says, and yet you find yourself in the midst of hardship that you don't deserve, that's unjust? How is it possible in that moment to have a perspective that worships, a perspective that prays? Well, like I said, I believe that Paul's belief was not just theological, that he actually believed in the Lord Jesus himself, and that belief was very personal. And because it was personal, it inspired his response in that moment. I think the first thing we see here is that Paul sang because he believed in God's deliverance. What, what caused Paul to sing and pray at midnight? <laughs> I think Paul thought he had a captive audience. They couldn't go anywhere, he couldn't go anywhere, so he was going to start singing and talking about Jesus. That's what Paul did. He was so fixated on the gospel, he never saw any hardship as a loss of opportunity. In fact, every closed door seemed to be a sovereign opening to ministry that God had laid before him. Paul believed that God would deliver him, and so that's something worth singing about. Even though he didn't know what was going to happen the next day, perhaps they would take him out and execute him, perhaps they would beat him more, perhaps they would leave him in there for a long period of time, Paul still sang because he believed in God's deliverance. Paul was one of those types of people that said, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says that actually in the letter that he writes in the future to the Philippian church, that it doesn't matter what happens to me. If I live, God is going to continue to use me, and that's a good thing. If I die, then I'm going to get to be with Jesus. Matt Chandler, in his book on uh, Philippians, kind of talks about this in the introductory chapter as he's kind of describing 
uh, Paul and Paul's encounter here in Acts chapter 16. And he says this about Paul. He is the man who, when threatened, says, well, to die is gain. In response, his captors will say, we'll torture you then. And he says, I don't count the present suffering as worthy to even compare to the future glory. You can't win with a guy like this. If you want to kill him, he's cool with that because it means he gets to be with Jesus. If you want to make him suffer, he's cool with that, so as long as it makes him like Jesus. If you want to let him live, he's fine with that because to him, to live is Christ. Paul is, as Richard Sibb says, of everyone united with Christ, a man who can never be conquered. Why is that? Well, Paul had a personal belief in the gospel, a personal belief in who Jesus Christ is. Uh, the word actually here what, that he says when he says to the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, that word belief uh, is a word that it says, um, Baker's uh, Encyclopedia of the Bible defines that word for belief as not just a mere kind of acceptance of existence, like I believe that that exists, but it's actually an acknowledgement of trust. I'm not just, uh, just kind of believing it here. I actually am putting some trust in that. So Paul sings because he believed in God's deliverance. But it says that the Lord brought a supernatural earthquake that opened all the doors of the prison. It released all the prisoners of their shackles. And in that moment, Paul had an opportunity to get away. Now remember, he was put in jail unjustly. He didn't deserve to be in there. The accusations that the slave girl's owners made against Paul and Silas and his companions were completely false, and they had no grounds to actually do what they did. And yet, in that moment, when the doors opened up, Paul doesn't run away. He stays. And that's because, I believe, Paul's belief informed his perspective. Paul stayed because he believed in God's sovereignty. See, Paul didn't believe that this was an accident. In the, in the first few verses of Acts chapter 16, remember, Paul was trying to go to a different place to do ministry, to go do evangelism, and it says that God actually closed those doors. So he tried to go this way, and it says, no, that's not going to happen. And so he's, all right, we'll go this way. No, that's not going to happen. And it says that the Lord made this path that led them ultimately to Philippi. I kind of see this as a Zacchaeus moment. If you remember back in the Gospels, it says that Jesus was doing ministry and he walked into a town and there was this, this little man, Zacchaeus, and he wasn't considered, I mean, he was a, a tax collector, and so he was pretty much an outcast, an outlier in his society because um, tax collectors were known as thieves. But he wanted to hear, he heard about this Jesus and he wanted to see who this Jesus was. And so it says he climbed up in a tree and Jesus made his way into town. It says Jesus kind of worked his way through the whole crowd, walked directly to Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, I have come here to stay with you. Uh, Jesus had a point for going here. He had a person he wanted to interact with. I kind of get that feeling as I read Acts chapter 16 that as God's closing doors to Paul and his companions from going to different places and God ultimately leads him to Philippi and then through these circumstances of an unjust accusation and then being treated unjustly and put into prison, it's almost as if God has orchestrated all these things so that Paul can have this conversation with this Philippian jailer, this average Joe. I think Paul recognized that. I think that Paul saw that God's hand had been moving him, had been orchestrating all these different things. And even though Paul found himself in hardship, he believed that that was God's sovereign appointment. 
He stayed because he believed that's where God wanted him to be. I wonder this morning how you view hardship. How do you view closed doors? I think sometimes when we have plans and we like maybe start off in a direction with our, uh, our careers or our education or we're wanting to go and do something, accomplish something, and it feels like the door closes or there's always these obstacles and hurdles, sometimes I think we, we can blame you know, the world and, and, and sometimes we maybe even blame uh, spiritual warfare. Like, man, just the devil is not letting this happen. I think, though, sometimes we need to, to not give credit to those things and actually acknowledge the fact that it could be the Lord who is closing those doors, that God is actually allowing things to kind of close off so that we won't get distracted doing something that's outside of his desirous will, what's outside of his best for us. And so I think Paul has this perspective. I think his belief in God's sovereignty, that God's in control of all things, led him to go, I'm not here by chance, I'm here by appointment, and there's something that God wants me to do. I don't feel released to run out of this prison. I'm going to stay here in the mess until I'm done doing what God has placed me here to do. See, I think if we have this perspective about closed doors, we, we'll actually change the way we see some of these obstacles that happen in our life. We actually can change from seeing closed doors as a source of discouragement and actually see them as something that maybe will clarify direction in our life. I know there have been times where I've pursued certain things and doors will close and I won't even get opportunities that I'm like overly qualified for or I really, really want. And I'm like, God, why are you keeping this from me? And in fact, maybe God's not keeping it from me. He's actually protecting me from going off and getting into something that's not his best. I can look back in my life and see there have been times where God, I believe, has closed doors to things that Maybe I could have pursued. Maybe I was qualified in my own abilities to go and do, but it wasn't what God wanted me to do. And I'm thankful that he's closed those doors because it's allowed me, to, I think, to, to stay more within his will for my life rather than the will that I've created for myself. God closing doors also helps develop our reliance upon him, right? Because if all the doors we want, we're, we're kicking open, we're prying open, we're just doing our own thing, we're less reliant on God uh, and more reliant on ourselves. But what we know about that is uh, we, we can't actually control anything in our lives. But I think closed doors also do something. They, they actually provide openings to unforeseen opportunities. I think even back to this week, uh, if you're watching this in a few years, um, this past week in Salem, we had all this anticipation. There were a lot of people on all of our phones and our weather apps. We saw all the prediction of snow and and. Uh, some people love the snow. They were excited to have snow, but we actually kind of, we didn't get snow. We got a horrible ice storm. And instead of being able to play in the snow and build snowmen and go sledding, we were forced with power outages, uh, property damage, and hours and hours of cleanup. And so we can go, man, what's going on? I wanted this and now this happened. What's going on? But what's been interesting is I've been talking with many of our uh, church family this week. It's been evident that God has not just, um, you know, provided for us, but he's created opportunities for us as the church to minister to one another and to minister to the community at large. I've heard of people uh, taking out propane stoves and cooking pancakes for all the neighbors who didn't have power. I've heard of uh, people learning about neighbors who were in the hospital and sick who had no idea. They hadn't talked to their neighbors in a while, and it was through being outside, walking around, kind of evaluating the damage that they interacted with their neighbors more and found out 
about something that they could be praying for and supporting their neighbors with. Um, it, these opportunities sometimes we don't see, but yet God is providing opportunities for us all the time. And so it takes a spiritually sensitive person to go, I'm not always going to look at uh, hardships as negatives, but sometimes see the positives in that. Chuck Swindoll, in his commentary on this passage, says this, It takes a spirit sensitive to the Lord's leading to maintain this kind of perspective. We naturally tend to wonder what we did wrong, or if we know we did nothing wrong, play the victim. We compare ourselves to others for whom doors seem to open left and right. We try harder to go where the Lord has forbidden, or we give up and go home after a few doors slam shut. Paul and Silas did none of that. They persisted, never doubting their call. Simply stated, they submitted to the sovereign direction of God. They understand that the, the Lord has every right to open and close opportunities to give and to take away. Through it all, however, they didn't doubt the Lord's goodness or kindness. I believe that Paul stayed in that prison because he believed in God's sovereignty. And he did not believe that it was time for him to leave. And what we see as we read on in the story is that God used Paul not only to save that man's life physically, the, the jailer saw all the doors open, and he, he just assumed that those prisoners had all escaped. And what would have been the penalty for him was they would, have, well, they would have punished him with the same penalty that those prisoners were supposed to get, perhaps even have taken his own life. And instead of wanting to have to face that, the jailer, assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, draws his sword to kill himself. And what we read here in chapter, 20, or chapter 16, verse 28, Paul says in a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. I believe that Paul, his belief helped focus his message at that moment. Paul proclaimed the gospel because he believed in God's grace. On a, on a purely human level, think about this with me for just a moment. Paul is, he's doing ministry. He's actually given his life to go into unfamiliar locations to people he doesn't know to proclaim the gospel truth out of a desire to see them saved. He goes to this location. He's trying to help people with their greatest need, the need for salvation, and he faces opposition, and he faces unjust treatment. Now we know this isn't the first time that Paul faced that, but it's again. And he gets beaten severely. He gets thrown into prison. They put him in the stocks. And this jailer is the one that I think he, it would be really easy to focus my attention on this jailer who is, who is not treating me kindly or warmly. And so not only are the prisons, the doors open and my shackles free, but as this guy comes out, this guy that's been abusing me, this guy who's been punishing me unjustly, and I see him draw a sword on a purely human level, my question is, what would I do in that moment? Would I try to save him from hurting himself? Or would I potentially let him do it because he had wronged me? I'm thankful for Paul's response here, and my hope would be that I would respond in the same way. That even though this jailer had abused me, had treated me unjustly, had done all these horrible things to me, God's grace was greater than any sin he had committed. See, Paul understood the power of the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says that he's not ashamed to tell everyone about this gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to both the Jews and the Greeks or the Gentiles. 
Paul knew the type of power it would take to rescue him out of the life that he had where he was persecuting the church and he was putting people in prison and putting people to death for merely believing the gospel. And God radically rescued him, didn't hold his trespasses against him, saved him, showed him grace, and then not only showed him grace and saved him, but gave him a role, gave him a calling, set him out as now an ambassador of the gospel. Paul knew what grace was. He had experienced it. And he now wanted to show that grace to this jailer. Paul had already seen uh, the gospel save other people in Philippi. And even though this man had done many, many hurtful things, I believe that Paul understood that God had sent him not just to reach out to the religiously confused and not just to help those who were demonically ensnared, God had sent Paul there to share the gospel with everyone, even average Joes like the Philippian jailer. And so I believe Paul's belief was not just theological, it was personal. And I think the same is true for us. This needs to be our desire. This needs to be what we're pursuing, is to not just know God on an intellectual level where we can read the Bible, know what it says, but actually let it penetrate our hearts, allow it to change the way we feel, change the way we think. It's something that we don't just acknowledge is, is out there and acknowledge is true, that we actually build our lives upon that belief in Jesus, in the gospel, that, I, that, that, that my belief in who Christ is actually impacts my life that it will cause me to, to have a certain way I respond to hardship. It will cause me to, to have a certain perspective when I face these closed doors, that it will cause me to have a very focused response to the world around me, a very, very focused and clear mission for why I exist. And so the question for us this morning is, what have recent hardships in my life revealed about my belief? What of the things that you've been facing, those things that have been hard, inconvenient, frustrating, unjust, what do they reveal in you? What's coming out of you in the face of hardships? What's coming out of you as doors seem to close? What's coming out of you when you face these types of circumstances? What's it revealing about your belief? If your belief is theological, then it is easy when those hardships come for us to respond in a way that's different than what we say we believe because it truly isn't inside of us and then coming out of us. But if what we believe about Christ is truly what we've built our life upon, I believe we can be like Paul. In the face of hardship, in the face of struggles, in the face of closed doors, we can respond in a way that is worshipful rather than critical that we can have a perspective that says that God's in control rather than I got to get out of here as soon as I can, that I'm going to trust God. And then I can say, even when people have wronged me or when people have irritated me, I'm going to choose to show them grace and be forgiving and pursue unity through the bond of peace. Why? Because that's how Christ pursued me. I just love this picture of belief on display in Acts chapter 16. Paul wasn't just a man who was commissioned to go tell people what, believe, what to believe. Paul was a man who actually lived out what he believed. My desire is that would be true for every one of us who call ourselves a follower of Jesus Christ. That I would not be a Christian in just word or title, but that my life would reflect Christ. It would reflect a belief that's built upon him and not myself. 
that I'm, I'm, I'm living with my eyes focused on a king rather than seeing myself as the king of a life that I have created. This morning, if you hear this, and if you think about that question, what have recent hardships revealed about my belief? Perhaps you're feeling, well, maybe my belief is pretty small. Maybe, I, maybe my belief is merely more theological and not very personal. I want to offer you the same truth that Paul offered the Philippian jailer, that if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You can believe that and receive it and begin to build your life upon it today. Whether you've already placed your faith in Christ or you haven't even ever started that relationship, that same simple truth is the truth that we can build our lives on today. That Christ has accomplished everything we need for life and godliness, and he's given it to us freely through belief through faith. Perhaps there's something this morning that he's asking you to let go of and trust him with. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is convicting you or prompting you and saying, you've been trying to do this on your own. You're holding on to this. Will you believe me? Will you trust me and let me have that? I believe Paul was led by the Lord on this missionary journey. And even though he was obedient to God, God still allowed him to go through certain hardships, but Paul was ready to respond in a way that honored and glorified God in a way that allowed him to fulfill God's purpose for his life because he had a belief that wasn't just theological, it was personal. And that is my desire for us, that we would see Paul's example of what it looks like to live out our belief and that we would ask God to build up our faith and to build up our belief in him so that we could live in a similar way. My desires, if we will do this, we will respond to the hardships we face much differently than if our belief is just in our minds. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for the story of Paul's journey to Philippi. And I thank you for the way that you used him God, that even though he was obedient to you and he trusted you and he waited for you to open that door and then he obediently followed you to Philippi, that didn't mean that what you called him to was easy. In fact, God, you allowed him to be beaten and put into prison for doing what was right, for, for speaking truth. And yet, God, Paul's belief in you allowed him to sing rather than be critical. It caused him to stay rather than to run away. It caused him to show grace to that jailer and to present the gospel rather than shunning him or keeping it to himself. God, I pray that we would have a belief that would cause us to respond to hardship in the same way, that we would have a perspective informed by your goodness and that we would live in light of that, God. God, we thank you for Paul's example here and I pray that you would grow our belief that it would become more than just theological, it would become very personal to us. God, we love you, we thank you, and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.